You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, ESPN Milwaukee Bucks reporter. Let's see, what other city do you want? What what do you have a city in mind today, Frank? I think somebody was tweeting at us some ideas. We need I, I need to check who it is, but maybe ESPN Shy Octon. Is that? Is oh, that, that an no, I went. I, that was the one I did on Friday. Oh, um, let's see, oh. ESPN. Oh man, I'm trying to uh, Genesee Depot. That, that's going to be ESPN Genesee Depot, Genesee Depot. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. Genesee but. Depot? I don't. Oh, God. Now you're listing places I don't even know of in Wisconsin. So now I'm, I mean. There we are. Manitowoc, maybe. I think we did ESPN <laughs> Oconomowoc, maybe ESPN Manitowoc, okay. ESPN Sheboy, Sheboygan Falls. Um, they all yeah, work. We, we if, to, you, if, you, if you want your hometown to have a shout out, you know, hit me up. Uh, I, can, yeah. I can get an ESPN affiliate there. Um, <laughs> so I'm Eric Name. Uh, joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. The founder of Brew Hoop and my good friend Frank, how was your weekend? Uh, it was fine. Um, we had the first Mother's Day since my wife became a mother today, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, we got on the FaceTime with my uh, three and a half month old daughter and my uh, my mom and my wife, and so I don't know. There's a whole there, you know, like you, when, when you become a dad, then the Mother's Day thing becomes a whole different thing. So yeah. that was pretty fun. I got to spend a lot of time with uh, with my daughter. My uh, my wife had a friend in town, so I had to actually be like, you know, a legitimate dad who took care of a baby nice. by himself for extended periods. So um, I think I passed passed <laughs> the test on that, which is good because I'm. I have friends coming into town next weekend, so I'm like abandoning my wife again. Um, so I had to kind of pay it forward this weekend. But no, it was all it was all good. Um, we just got done a little while ago watching the game one of the uh, East Finals between the Celtics and Cavs, and uh, um, I guess I guess the Bucks may may go down as the 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 only team to, <laughs> to threaten the Celtics in this first uh, in this uh, in this playoffs maybe uh, at least in the East because uh, yeah the Celtics uh, took care of business again so that'll be fun to watch kind of moving forward I don't know if I buy into Boston beating the the Cavs at this point but um, certainly game one they they showed what they could do and uh, uh, we did have that question um, was it was it Nick Herring that yeah. asked or um, asked you about you know if if what Boston has done since. Uh, beating the Bucks, if that has changed your perspective on on the Bucks or their performance, and um, I'll I'll let you give your answer because I was thinking about it for mine, and then I read yours, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much. I think that's pretty much right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think my opinion really changes of that se- like of that series because I think you should have been frustrated by the Bucks' performance then, <laughs> and I think you should still be frustrated by their performance now. Like we, I don't know how many times we can talk about it, and I still didn't really get any solid answers out of it but the bucks changed their strategy in games three through six they won three of those four games and i understand three of those games were at home 
uh, and those were the games that they won. But at the same time, they won three of four games and looked good in all four of those games. And then in game seven, decided to change their strategy to what they did in the first two games. And they got blown out of the water and it didn't make any sense then. It doesn't make any sense now. And it still generally confuses me and frustrates me. So, um, yeah, I I think that's kind of the way it is. And uh, I I just think the, the big thing for me is when you look at that Sixers team, I just think of that closeout game and Embiid shooting that top of the key three from like a foot behind the line that he just rocketed off the glass. And it to me, like that kind of play encapsulated what's what was wrong with the Sixers in that series. Like they just weren't disciplined enough to play against that Celtics team. And uh, I mean, obviously that can get extrapolated even further when you're looking at J.J. Redick and Marco Bellinelli chucking up threes and just the, a general lack of discipline from that team that made it much easier for uh for the Celtics to take advantage of them. And again, maybe we'll see that against the Cavs. It certainly looked like that in game one, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the the coming games, the rest of the series that the Cavaliers kind of figure that out where, I mean, in the past, what they've done is just said, okay, LeBron, you're going to hold the ball for 20 seconds of this possession. And whatever you get is what you get. And I mean, we saw them do that in the finals against the, against the Warriors and, it ended up being a pretty solid strategy. Um, so I would guess we kind of get to see some of that uh, in that series. But largely today, LeBron was passive, like passing and just making kind of silly, weird plays. Like uh, I don't know. He just did not play very good today. So we'll see if that gets better for the rest of the series. Yeah, I mean, I I, did, I watched like most of the first half and then went grocery shopping for the second half, so I, I can't speak to, to what happened after halftime. But um, I think I think you kind of knew what you needed to needed to know about today's game when you know in the first like five or six minutes, um, you know the Cavs were up. We gave up seven four early. Love actually looked kind of engaged. Brown got a couple buckets, and but Kyle Korver misses a couple threes. J.R. Smith misses a few shots, and you know that was obviously such a huge key for them getting kind of the old guard involved and dangerous uh, in that last series with, with Corver, Love, uh, JR, and Trinsa Thompson playing, you know, really valuable roles. And, you know, it just felt like, all right, well, if the Cavs can't shoot, um, specifically with, with JR and, and Kyle Corver, I mean, they're not going to win. They're not, they're not going to be Boston. I mean, they're not, you know, again, like um, they may not have like the worst defensive performance today, but um, they're, they're not going to win like a, you know, 80 to 78 rock fight um against the celtics like celtics are a good defensive team and the Cavs aren't so um so yeah I, I, it'll be interesting to see i mean again i think as much as you know so much of this comes down to like can lebron exert as well i mean you know if lebron scores 40 today i mean i'm guessing he could have kept it close but um again if he's not getting any help um it's tough and i think certainly early in the game like you know celtics you know sort of tr- let other guys have chances to beat them and when they couldn't, obviously, then it kind of went uh, certainly played into uh, Boston's favor. So anyway, it will be interesting to see. But I would agree um, as far as the Bucks. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm not bringing back Joe Prenti for a second round interview <laughs> um, because the Bucks suddenly look better in a way. Um, and I think as well, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, the Celtics, you know, they, they've really been, fi- I think, finding themselves and role players been stepping into roles and obviously stepping up, whether it's Rozier or the young guy, you know, Tatum and, and Brown. Um, you know, taking on bigger responsibilities since Kyrie's been out. But I mean, that's that's like all pretty new. So it also 
isn't shocking necessarily that those guys would maybe gain some more comfort and potentially get better as well. You know, like if you told me Boston is playing better basketball now than they did against the Bucks, I also that would make some sense to me. Um, so again, it's it's hard to say, but um, certainly it'll be fun to watch the rest of the series, and it'll certainly be fun to watch the Rockets and Warriors kick off their series Monday night. Um, obviously, I personally have much more riding on that series. Uh, not that I'm not that I'm confident that the Rockets will win that series because I'm not. I think there may be a I don't know, 25%, 30% chance to win that series. Maybe that's even a little bit high. Um, but uh, my wife, um, I am married. I mentioned her earlier. Um, she's from the state of Texas in a city in Texas called Houston, and they have a basketball team called the Rockets. I don't think I've ever mentioned that. Um, but uh, my household will, will have a rooting interest, which uh, unfortunately I think is not going to go our way. But um, anyway, we, yeah, hopefully it'll be a fun series. We desperately need it to be a fun series, right? We like, do. Like we that. Do that would kind of save the playoffs because uh, the playoffs haven't been great to this point. Um, I'm trying to think of what my, what the best series has been. Um, maybe the Utah there, series. I, yeah. There've been some good stories, but like, I mean, yeah, there haven't been sort of these, you I mean, know, the, Bucks the Bucks might, and maybe we're a little privileged to actually have the Bucks and Celtics that went to seven. So maybe yeah. we're kind of distancing ourselves from that, even though that might've been, I think that's probably the series of the playoffs thus far. Is that the – did we have a game seven old, anywhere else? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't – oh, uh, Indiana-Cleveland also. Yes. One seven, yeah. Uh, um, but, I, I mean, you think about the way that those games went down. You have Middleton's crazy shot. You have the antics between uh, Rogier and Bledsoe. Uh, I mean, I think that probably is the series of the playoffs thus far, which, I mean, it was a great series, don't get me wrong, but – that probably doesn't speak well of uh, of the playoffs if the Bucks are a part of one of the signature series of of the playoffs thus far. So fingers crossed, Rockets Warriors do some cool stuff. Even if it's only six games, like just let's have it be a battle and let's have both those teams kind of punch and counter punch. That would be a lot of fun. So that is my hope there. You mentioned Joe Prunty in a second interview, so I think one thing we wanted to do right now was just kind of reset the situation and kind of figure out exactly um, where everything stands here. So the Bucks, I believe, from the list of, of names that have been mentioned, appear to be through their first round of interviews. Um, we've, we were given a greater list at the start of all of this from Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, and some of those people got pulled off of it because they got hired for other jobs. Um, but we are in a spot now where I think all of the people that are going to come through have come through. And, and again, maybe maybe there's a Dwayne Casey ad, and we can talk about that in, in a little while. But I think what we have right now is uh, last weekend, Tori Messina came in, uh, not 100% sure on the day there, um, but I think it was probably Friday or Saturday. Um, so Atori Messina came in, then uh, Steve Clifford came in on Monday, Mike Budenholzer on Tuesday. Uh, there was no reported uh, activity on Wednesday, um, but Joe Pronti got an interview at, at some point, I assume. Um, so I'm sort of thinking that was on Wednesday when there was no other reported activity. Uh, Thursday was Monty Williams. Uh, he came in for that interview then. And then over the weekend, we heard from Adrian Wojnarowski that uh, David Blatt and Becky Hammond would both be in. Um, so not really sure on the 
dates for either of those who went Friday or Saturday. Um, but like I said, it, throughout this process, it does appear that the Bucks are going just one interview a day and kind of bringing those people in separately. So I believe that resets the scene. I'm not 100%, but that does appear. To, the only thing I, I wouldn't be totally 100% sure of, uh, just because we haven't seen reported, is Prunty on Wednesday, but there was really nothing else reported on that Wednesday, and we we were told that Joe Prunty would be getting an interview by Joe Prunty um, during his exit interview. So to me, logically, that would kind of fill in the puzzle piece, but maybe he could be going on Monday as this uh, podcast plays as well. But um, I think that's that's about the list, right? Am I missing anything? That's probably it. I mean, again, unless they're well, – well, oh, well, you forgot about Jim Clemens, oh. uh, Eric. Jim Clemens. By the way, uh, Fox Sports Wisconsin had a tweet, <laughs> had a tweet on, on Friday, I think, and I, I nearly fell out of my chair laughing. It was a tweet. Not only was it a tweet to an article recapping who has been uh, interviewed for the Bucks, but it had a graphic. And the graphic – it did only have – it might have only had three people and Jim Clemens was one of the people yep. in the graphic. And it was yep. like, oh, my God, Fox Sports Wisconsin, are you trolling the Milwaukee Bucks with this graphic and this story? Um, and I, I don't I, I did. I my morbid curiosity. I was curious. I was curious. Like, what the hell is, is this seriously in there? So I clicked on it and, you know, it like had a like a paragraph on uh, on Jim Clemens and, you know, just sort of like recited back that he had a informal interview discussion whatever um and that it would be a you know a very a big huge surprise if he became head coach like no shit it'd be a huge surprise <laughs> if he became head coach um but i saw that and i was like you know i don't even know if it, if, if the author of the article was listed mm-hmm. um because it's one i think it's one of those you know fox sports uh pivoting to video like you know i don't i don't know who even writes the stories there anymore but um but yeah i saw that and i was just like yep this is this is why aggregation sucks and makes us all dumber um, in in 2018. Uh, so that was kind of funny, but uh, but yeah, I think you captured the names um, and and certainly you know the, what was it Friday that Dwayne Casey was fired Thursday that Dwayne Casey was fired um, late last week Dwayne Casey being fired obviously sort of I think created an interesting ripple effect just because of um, obviously another position and a position that is attractive at least to, you know on some level. Uh, coming becoming open in Toronto um, and again you know we've kind of been thus far talking about the Bucks position you know sort of from a position of strength obviously uh, the other positions Atlanta Charlotte Orlando obviously those are jobs that you know are with rebuilding teams they've been generally looking at sort of young coaches who probably would not mind you know tending to a team that isn't going to win anytime soon. Um, whereas the Bucks obviously have a much better chance of winning in the short term. Toronto, obviously an interesting situation given that, you know, they just won 59 games. Um, but also kind of a weird position because they just won 59 games and that wasn't good enough because they <laughs> lost to LeBron in the second round. And so it's kind of like, all right, well, uh, you know, that that's a high bar if you go in there, right? Um, better win know, more. Yeah, exactly. Better Milwaukee, be LeBron uh, next week or next exactly. year. Excuse me. Uh, Exactly. I mean, I think you can argue that Toronto is more attractive because of, you know, the organization with, you know, uh, Masai Ujiri being very well respected and certainly being kind of more stable and, you know, again, not having the level of chaos that the Bucks have had over the last few years. But um, again, as well, like, I mean, you think about it from a coach's perspective. I mean, you want to be able to come in and make an impact and, you know, do well and be respected for what you do. You come to Milwaukee. I mean, like we said, like 
I don't think it's a, a stretch to say the Bucks could win 50 games. Whatever version of the team is out there next year, you go in 50 games, you go to the second round of the playoffs, everybody's treating you like a hero, right? Yeah. Uh, you go to Toronto, you win 55 games and lose in the second round of the playoffs to Philly or Boston or if LeBron is still around, well, should we blow it up? Is that it? Yeah. You know, like it wasn't Dwayne Casey's fault. You know, all that stuff falls. So it would suck. It, it, it's it's an interesting spot because yeah you have a lot of talent obviously clearly um, but you also don't have a Giannis and DeRozan <laughs> and and Lowry are, are obviously older and Abaka's older and you've got sort of your these your your star players are much more difficult to move and again a lot of like nice young talent but not really guys who look like they're going to be transcendent so it's a really interesting team that you know it, it's kind of like they're they're almost like built to like not be better than they had than they were this year in a lot of ways or the last couple of years so um so yeah, i don't know it's 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 interesting because again i'm guessing masai ujiri did not fire Dwayne casey without some sense of what he wanted to do next and there's been speculation about internal hires like nick nurse or um, jerry stackhouse or um, potentially i know mike budenholz has also been named as sort of an outside option so that that's particularly interesting i think obviously because you know could toronto be competition for you know, a coach like Budenholzer. Um, I think that's interesting. And, and again, they, you know, Budenholzer would have to kind of weigh the sort of options we've been describing. Um, and it could also obviously, you know, mean that the Bucks would have to give a better offer maybe than, than they might other might otherwise. But again, Budenholzer's situation specifically is so interesting because he's got that $14 million kind of backdrop of his previous contract with Atlanta. So I, I don't know. I mean, what, what's your, where do you want to go about that? Do you want to talk a little bit more about maybe the, the specter of Toronto or do you want to kind of, I guess, focus more on the names we have left and, and kind of what comes next for the Bucks? Sure, we can talk a little bit about the specter of Toronto. Um, to me, I don't even think it's close. Like, if I am, if I'm an NBA coach and I get to choose between higher expectations or lower expectations, I'm probably going to take lower expectations. And if I get to choose between having to win a playoff series and having to beat LeBron, I think I'm going to go with having to win a playoff series because that seems easier. And if I have to choose between Masai Ujiri, the most, I don't want to say the most powerful, but one of the one of the most powerful and one of the most well-respected names in all of basketball or John Horst, I think I'm going to go John Horst because that seems like uh, if I really want to make an impact and I potentially want to have more power than I would as just a coach, I think I would go there, and I, if I want to have, I think there's a clear idea that the Bucks will be trying to ramp up towards wins than there is in Toronto, because I think the idea of blowing it up remains re- present, right? Like, if things don't go well next year, it's a blow up in the offseason. Like, I don't know how else the Raptors could run it back if you as a coach uh, don't find a way to somehow outdo the greatest season in the history of the franchise um, or match it, like there's a good chance that everything blows up. And instead of coaching a team that is near the top of the Eastern Conference, 
maybe you're coaching a team that's near the middle of the Eastern Conference, maybe a team that's on the bottom of the Eastern Conference, depending to what extent they want to blow it up and try again and rebuild from the bottom. So uh, I just think, it, to me, it's overwhelmingly um, that the Bucks would be the the more appealing option, but also I'm kind of thinking in a egotistical, selfish, uh, self-preservation type of way as a coach, <laughs> not a I want to be a part of something great kind of way, if that makes any sense. Like I'm just yeah, thinking I, self-preservation. I think it's bucks, no doubt. Uh, it, it's interesting because I think the um, – I, I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, which um, has – stymied uh, some of our conversations in the in the past uh but when you're just discussing preferring john horse to me that is the like uh and i'll just make some references which you won't understand but i'm sure many of our listeners will it's sort of the little finger chaos is a ladder uh perspective like i'm gonna go where there's a void in potential power versus go to the place where it is sort of a well-established hierarchy i think it probably depends i mean if you were a younger coach i think going to the situation where you have a strong GM and there's like at least certainty about the organization that way. I think that's actually a positive. Yeah. I think if you are looking to, you know, exert influence and potentially claim additional power, um, then I can see your, your argument, you know, the, the <laughs> sort of like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and monster truck John Horst uh, a year from now when, uh, when, when he, when, you know, if we, if we don't do well, I'm going to blame it on, uh, the roster, and then I'm gonna use that as a springboard to uh, to make John Horse look bad and claim more power. So I, yeah, I, I can see your argument. Um, I don't want to uh, diminish though that having a, a kind of well-run organization. And again, I, I, there are a lot, there are a number of parts of the Bucks organization, specifically the business side, which I think are extremely well-run. Um, but the basketball ops side has obviously been uh, not exactly a paragon of continuity and excellence. And yeah predictability uh the last few years and if anybody disagrees with that like just i, I don't know what i don't know me, your heads we have some so, pod, we have some podcasts for you to listen to yeah we have some podcasts for you to listen to um so yeah it's an interesting thing though but i i agree for me the big thing though is you have you have real upside that you can tap into in milwaukee just yep. mainly because of Giannis and just sort of the the age of the team not that the team is really young but you have some upside there um versus toronto which again you do have some young players there but the key pieces that are going to propel you to wins are, are aging um and at this point i think are kind of tapped out to some extent and and again um it, it's not necessarily an easy place to coach because of that and and also just like little things i mean it's like you know both places are cold toronto is an incredible city if i had to live you know in toronto i'd probably be pretty happy about that just because it's a great city but if you have to travel every week, you know, you still have to go through customs. You still have higher tax rates in Canada from everything I know about Canada. So, I mean, they're just sort of pieces of this that, again, are, you know, as great a city as Toronto is, maybe isn't overly advantageous if you're, you know, a basketball coach making millions of dollars a year. So, uh, so yeah, I think the Bucks should still have an advantage. But, um, yeah, if the Bucks thought that they could just sort of, you know, give Bud a, a low, low ball offer, if that's the guy they want to go with. Um, uh, you know, Toronto, it, depending on Budenholzer, the way he plays this, if if he is indeed a guy that that Toronto is interested in, you could maybe see some some leveraging. Um, yeah. If, for instance, an offer isn't high enough or something like that, which again is especially interesting, just because he's also owed money from the Hawks. So I think it's a really interesting dynamic, which I won't even pretend to know how exactly it'll play out. But um, but obviously, hopefully, we'll know more this coming week about a who the Bucks finalists are and and then figure out a direction of, of where this might go. Um, let me ask you this, 
and we didn't talk about this beforehand, so I'll call this my Steve Von Horn question of the day. If if you are uh, if you're if you're John Horst, who do you who would you? Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you the the, the maybe the fairest way because I'm I'm I have been very much on record as saying I don't think from the outside we're very well suited to even like guess who the best candidate really is because we don't know what they even would even do with these with this team but yeah. um if you had to guess who is going to be let's say there are three finalists who would you guess john horse passes on to ownership uh to go through the final round because i think that was the other piece that i think is Woj or no actually matt velasquez i think specifically um tweeted out, out at the end of last week about how you know ownership hasn't been involved and essentially this is john horse first round and then he's going to basically bring in ownership into the second round um but who would you guess John Horse is going to bring back for let's say the final three. I mean, again, it could be more than that, but who would you guess if you had to pick a top three? Who do you think would be the leading candidates to get into that final three? And obviously, we're speculating wildly based on what we know from the outside and what we think the bite bucks might be looking for. And we obviously don't know what was said in these interviews, but whatever. We we we're this is this is how we produce hour long podcasts every day. We speculate wildly. So, Eric, I'm going to throw it on you and make you speculate first. Nothing like some reckless speculation. Um, I think Budenholzer is obviously at the top yes. of that list. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not sure that there would be uh, really anyone else that I think is particularly close. Um, I think he's one and then everyone else is on a lower tier. Um, but after that, hmm, I think... Budenholzer, Messina, and oh, I'm trying to decide between the other two guys that have a head coaching experience. Um, let's say, let's say Monty Williams. Yeah, I was. I would have said Budenholzer. Budenholzer seems to be the consensus that everybody feels like is is the most likely guy to get the job. And again, I don't know if that means he's. 75% likely to get an offer or 40% likely to get an offer. But I, I just feel like it's a higher likelihood than anybody else. Um, so I don't know if it's a majority or a plurality or whatever, but I think Budenholzer is the number one most likely person. And then I think, yeah, I just, I would also put Monty Williams in there. It just seems like his name always gets brought up. And I just remember last year I was trying to ask somebody who works for the Spurs about Messina and, and Becky Hammond specifically this was, bef- you know, before Jason Kidd ever got fired. But, you know, I mean, those names have been out there for, for a while, obviously, with, you know, for Hammond because of the connection a year ago with the front office job, which didn't make any sense unless they were trying to just sort of like tee her up potentially for a coaching job down the line. And then Messina, just because he's been such a well-respected assistant for so long. And I was a little surprised because the person told me, well, actually, I think Monty's the per- first person to get a job out of that group. And I didn't really have time to press them on on necessarily why that was. I think a lot of it is just because, again, there is this aversion, you know, to, to hiring first-time coaches, um, especially, obviously, a coach who doesn't look like any other coach that has been hired before. And Becky, we'll talk more about the Becky Hammond because there's been a lot of stuff about her, obviously, because it is a historic thing that she's even being interviewed. Um, but to a lesser extent, even a Tori Messino, right? I mean, uh, Igor Kokoskov, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right, but Igor, Igor got is now the first European head coach or first international head coach, I guess, um, in uh, in NBA history with getting that son's job. But a lot for, for the longest time, we thought Messina might be that guy. And again, if he was, you know, from Ohio, 
would he already have a job? Possibly, right? I yeah. mean, he had a very, he had a very similar resume to David Blatt, um, and Blatt obviously got a job a few years ago. Uh, so, I think, I think Monty again. I don't, I'm not like super excited about Monty Williams. Again, he didn't, you know, necessarily take New Orleans very far. But um, if the argument is, you know, Bucks need a relationship guy, that seems to fall into Monty Williams' um, wheelhouse. And again, I, I don't really know enough about his. X's and O's proficiency, except that, you know, obviously that I don't think he was known for that. So I don't know, though. It does seem like there's been a lot of smoke around Monty Williams potentially being in the mix for this. So I'll say he's number two. And then I think for number three, I think number three is probably the most interesting slot. And again, there may be four, there may be five finalists, right? We don't know. Yeah. But um, but I think it, it I think when we get into this group, I think that I, I think however many finalists there are going to be, I would say one of them will be maybe a little bit non-traditional or yep. not just a you know, guy who once had success and then got fired as a coach type type guy. Um, and I think certainly Messina and Becky Hammond are probably the, you know, most different in the sense that they are both, you know, people who've never head coached in the NBA. They're both assistants. Um, they would, you know, like Williams bring some of that Spurs flavor. Um, so they would sort of be the like, oh, interesting, sort of like the different type type picks because they don't, again, look like the other people. Um, but then again, I don't know. I mean, Blatt, you could argue, also would be kind of non-traditional because yep. he's this super respected, highly successful European coach who obviously, you know, had a weird had a weird situation in Cleveland where he gets hired to coach the Cavs like what? a couple weeks before LeBron decides to come back and then everything sort of changed and obviously things didn't work out for him. Although, um, in terms of results, like you really can't argue. <laughs> I mean, they, in what the one season he coached, they, you know, without Kyrie and Kevin love, they go to what six games in the finals against the Warriors. So, um, he did fine, but again, sort of maybe the anti Monty Williams in the sense that you worry about his ego and, and maybe relationship management, especially yeah. given his history with LeBron. But, you know that his X's and O's are, are very strong, even though I don't know if we really got to see him really coach the way he wanted to uh, with LeBron and company in Cleveland. So I, I think I would say at this point, you know, probably Monty uh, Budenholzer and then maybe one of those two. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Clifford was in that mix either. Um, but again, it's, you know, it's really I think so much as it comes down to to whatever the conversations were with with John Horst. And we don't know again we don't know what the what these people said about how they'd use the Bucks talent, which members of the Bucks maybe they would want to coach, not want to coach, um, how they would, you know, think philosophically, defensive, offensively. And I'm sure that would dramatically impact our view and fans view. Right. I mean, if somebody sure. came in and said, I'm never going to switch anything, which a number of these coaches have not been very big on switching, for instance. But if they came and said, like, well, I'm, I'm we're never going to switch defensively. I don't believe in that. We're going to play it this way. And, and that's just how I want to do it. Well, I'd probably say I don't. Suddenly, I'm no longer that interested in that coach, regardless of who it is. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so it, it, it's interesting though. But, but yeah, I, I think I, I would imagine it'll be kind of a mixture. Um, again, you know, I think it would have been nice to hear maybe a few more younger coaches like a Nick Nurse, a Chris Finch, those names that we've been repeating often throughout this process. Literally any um, assistant that wasn't in the Spurs wasn't organization, Spurs. like yeah. that would have yeah. made me feel a lot more comfortable. Like the, I guess the one thing that makes me uncomfortable with this first round is. I'm trying to. I'm not even sure exactly how to say this. It it feels kind of safe to me. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like you're you're looking at former head coaches, which is which is totally fine and is something that you do. Um, but from those guys, it's 
all people that have found success to some level or are well-respected in Steve Clifford's uh, example, and then Spurs assistance, which says to me, like, okay, we're trying to win games. Like, going forward, that's our goal. So to do that, we're going to find people that we know have done that before and are proven NBA coaches that people respect, or we're going to import some of that from – the San Antonio Spurs. We're just going to grab some of the Spurs culture and throw it in into Milwaukee. And uh, to me, it, it just felt like I, I think that can work. Like I think you can find a coach that gets you 50 wins next year, and you end up building something that gets 50 wins the following year, and you build a, a solid couple of years. But I do wonder if you find that home run in those people like uh, to me that that's why i've been fascinated throughout this process by a guy like chris finch um who when we talked with eric benning like i pointed out he's had three he's an offensive guy and he's had three stars that are very different and made good offenses or helped create good offenses for all of them he had anthony davis this year he had Nikola Jokic before that in Denver, and then he had James Harden before that, and all three of them. And again, you can, it's impossible to parse out just how much impact he had, but those are three very different offensive players and three very different stars. And he worked out well with all of them, and their offenses were very good in all of those years. So to me, that feels very exciting for Giannis. Like that feels like someone that could take. Giannis's offensive game to the next level. Um, obviously, we've talked about Nick Nurse and what he was what he was able to do in helping remake that offense in Toronto. And uh, I just think those two those two guys specifically stand out to me. But there's a number of other uh, assistants, whether it's uh, Chris Fleming, Jeff Bezdelic, uh, Nate Tibbetts, David Vanderpool. Like just uh, uh, to me, it, I, I would have felt more comfortable seeing an assistant from outside of the Spurs because that would suggest to me that you're thinking about how to get the most out of Giannis in the roster rather than we're going to import winning, which again, I don't blame the organization for thinking this would be the way that we want to do it. Like we want to guarantee wins. We want to guarantee a safe future. So let's go get some wins. But at the same time, Greg Popovich isn't coming. He's not, he's not a part of the deal. Tim Duncan managed nobly Tony Parker they're not a part of the deal either. Neither is Kawhi Leonard. Like these all have to have their own styles and there's a a large degree of variance in the success of Greg Popovich tree coaches, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, And, and again, I think if only to pick the brain of these people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like understand what they're doing because again, like the Spurs, the last few years, like I, if you know, if any of these Spurs assistants come in and say, I want to, I want the Bucks to have the same shot chart as the Spurs, the last few years, like I'd say pass. No, <laughs> thank like, you. Like no, you're gonna tell me, you're gonna explain to me why the Spurs didn't shoot threes anymore and why they became mid range dependent. You're gonna tell me it's because of the personnel and that you wouldn't do that in Milwaukee. And if you told me that, you know, oh, you don't need to shoot threes and we've proven that in San Antonio because we, you know, have continued to sort of overachieve, um, I would say, I don't I don't like how this interview is going. I don't that's not what I want to hear. Um, so. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I agree because, um, again, it's so hard. You know, it's so hard to gauge an assistant, especially from the outside. Right. When they're not making the decisions and especially yeah. so when, um, you know, it's it's a team that has been successful. But 
you know, of late, I mean, defensively, the Spurs have been terrific. So, yeah, bring me what the Spurs do defensively <laughs> to a large extent. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not exactly what the Bucks should be doing because the Spurs played bigger a lot. Yeah. Um, the Spurs have different types of, of you know, talent than the Bucks do. Um, but the offense in particular in San Antonio, as much as, you know, the, there's still the ball movement, some of those things, a lot of the, I think the kind of principles maybe are attractive. Um, the, you know, the sort of like actual like result of what that translates into, I think should not be viewed as a good thing, at least what we've seen in San Antonio. But, but yeah, I agree. And so let me, pip, if, if it's okay, um, I, I'm, I tweeted a comment about this on, on Friday, um, as you know, as you guys have noticed, neither Eric nor I believe necessarily that Becky Hammond is, you know, like expected to be a finalist. Um, Eric, I assume that you are not beating the drum for Becky Hammond to become the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks um, because, you know, again, I'm not like I don't know enough. I, I, you know, like we were just saying, I have no idea from watching the Spurs if Becky Hammond actually would be a good NBA head coach. I have no idea if. Messina would necessarily be a great NBA head coach. Um, I think they all have competency. You know, mm-hmm. they understand the game. They've obviously been learning from one of the best head coaches. Um, but I would really want to know what they're saying in these interviews before I really developed kind of an informed opinion of you know how they would coach and whether they would potentially be good uh, good fits for this team. But there was an article on Friday um, by Gary D'Amato uh, of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and I read this article and. My my response, um, my response, and, and so the, the title of the article is "Time Not Right for Becky Hammond to Coach Bucks." Okay, and I encourage you to read it. Um, I, I imagine, in large part, this this article was written because, you know, Becky Hammond being a woman interviewing for a job is you know a thing that people find interesting, and so you know we have to you know people have to have opinions of it, and we're doing that as well right now, but. Um, but my reaction is peace and I'll, and I'll get in a little bit why I felt this way, but my reaction to this post was this, I, this is what I tweeted out and uh, I got a lot of feedback on Twitter cause it's a, you know, it's a controversial, I think a, I would say a, a kind of some controversial ideas in this, in this story. Um, but my response was, I won't pretend to know how Becky Hammond might fare as an NBA head coach, but the arguments in this story against her hiring quote unquote pragmatic as they might seem are the same ones people have used to avoid hiring women and minorities in every industry since the beginning of time. And I'm being a little facetious there, but, but this is, this is a really, it's an interesting case study, I think. And and I'm not going to, my problem with this story is not that the headline says Becky Hammond shouldn't be the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, because based on the little I know about all these candidates, I mean, I, I would have a very hard time picking Becky Hammond out of this group and saying like, she's definitely the best person to be the head coach of the Bucks. Um, but, but it's this, it is like the first half of this story. And, and again, Gary D'Amato, I don't think Gary D'Amato sexist or something like that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't know him. Um, but he, he's actually very complimentary of, of Becky Hammond's sort of background and, you know, her credentials and, and blah, blah, blah. And he even says she is qualified to interview with the Bucks. Um, but she also says this is the wrong team in the wrong time for her to get the job. And so th- the premise of this, the idea that Becky Hammond, you know, is has done a lot of interesting things and she has a background that, you know, will one day enable her to potentially be a head coach in the NBA. I, I agree with that. You know, again, I'm I don't think she's necessarily the best coach for the Bucks either, based on the little that I know about her. Um, but kind of where it loses me is it then goes into this path of arguments that I think are basically the same kind of 
fear-mongering and sort of I don't want to say backwards, but it, it's it's sort of a very sort of self-defeating sort of view of of when someone when you should you know hire someone and it could be to be a head coach of a basketball team it could be to lead a company it could be whatever and first off he talks about this and he sort of like there's some there's some coded language in here about how progressive the bucks are and you know he, he writes if it were solely about marketing you could justify hiring her and it's like well no that's like first off like no one's gonna think that this should be all about marketing so it's like the premise here is like of course you're setting this up it's like you know a, a straw man that you're gonna knock down of course like a coach shouldn't be all about marketing so that I think that whole line of thought is sort of undermining kind of the the, the broader idea of her being a legitimate candidate um, and again if your whole argument is she's not experienced enough because she's you know hasn't been one of the lead assistants in San Antonio and she's only been an assistant for four years you could leave it at that and I would have no problem with it right I would have no problem with that argument but the second half of this story, this this article is just, I, I just struggle with it because it starts just like unwinding this this path of like what ifs, right? And I'll and I'll just read this out to you just so you just so you guys know. Again, you can read the whole thing, but right here here's the reading of it. There would be considerable pressure on the Bucks players to say and do all the right things under Hammond. Players around the league who have publicly supported her, including LeBron James, would be watching. Paul Gasol's impassioned endorsement in a story he wrote for the Players Tribune leaves no doubt about how he and many in the association feel about her. But human nature being what it is, sooner or later, a player would get upset about playing time. Someone would question a rotation or a late game coaching decision. And heaven forbid the Bucs lose a couple close games at the buzzer. The vocal segment of fans who believe a woman can't or shouldn't coach an NBA team would be relentless and cruel in their criticism. Hammond probably could handle all that. She's already proven she's capable in most every other way. But what if she failed? What if the team took a step backward under her leadership? The Bucs would come under fire for allowing a quote-unquote social experiment to derail their title aspirations. Critics would howl that the ownership group was out of touch, that the team wasted two or three years out of Edidokumbo's prime on a publicity stunt. It's just too big of a gamble for a team teetering between good and potentially great. And basically then goes into saying, like, you know, eventually Becky Hammond's time may come, but it's not now. And to be honest, this is just that that whole piece that I just wrote, read to you to me is just like it's just bullshit. Like, like what if anybody fails? Like what? You know, the idea that that that. that all these problems are exclusively Becky Hammond problems. To me is like what really bugged me about this because if it's about experience, that's fine. But you can then say, hey, probably don't hire Ettore Messina either. You could probably say, hey, this same logic would apply to, you know, pick your like third or fourth year assistant head coach who's up and coming but you don't consider quite ready for the job. The only person named in this article is Becky Hammond. And to me, that sort of is what kind of gets at me a bit, because it to me, like the the choice to like to structure the article this way, again, like I think the the thought was, oh, if we just put enough caveats saying that Becky Hammond is great, it's this is like totally fine, right? But to me, again, this is why people who don't look like the status quo take forever to get opportunities to do anything because it's not the right time. What if they failed? What if? the vocal minority who we're going to say is bad are really mean to them. Oh, we should protect them from that. You know, like, Oh, well, what if, what if, what if they fail, you know? And it's just like, I, I just really struggle with it. Like if, if you're afraid of being the first person to hire a woman, just say it in that, in that many terms, say that you need a more courageous organization, you know, say that you need like you, that the bucks can't afford it because 
uh, again, like they're just they've just screwed up too many times and you don't trust them to, to be a good judge of talent or something like that. I, I don't know. Like it's it's just I just really struggle with it because, again, it's just and this is kind of get back to my thing. Like this is what nice people say all the time and that prevent people who maybe not only deserve chances, but maybe actually deserve to get opportunities like the real thing, the real job itself. This is what they say. And this is how that like, you know, the 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 vocal minority that he references who you know, is kind of saying like all oh, these sexist people are going to be really mean. And that somehow that is why the Bucks can't hire somebody who, you know, when I read this to me, the takeaway is Becky Hammond's awesome and Becky Hammond may do great in this job interview, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's sexist people out there who are going to call them on it if it doesn't work out. And what if she failed? And, you know, because clearly failure isn't a possibility with, you know, other other coaches. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to pause there again. Like. I don't disagree with the premise that Becky Hammond isn't the best choice to be the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. But to me, I'm just so surprised. Well, maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised that in a, in a paper with editorial oversight that like nobody thought to think like the way this kind of ended up coming out with being just about Becky Hammond and not about any other potential assistant candidates that it was about a, a candidate who also is no, by no means a front runner, right? Like you're literally picking one person out of this lineup and saying that person doesn't deserve to be the head coach, even though, okay, so like everybody else is deserving of being a head coach above her. I, I don't know. I just, it's it just again like I'm I'm it's fine I, I don't think Becky Hammond is this super perfect candidate um, but I just think what I read in this story to me reminds me of what usually keeps people like Becky Hammond from getting jobs it keeps minority candidates from getting jobs not only in NBA but in everything ever um, so anyway I'm gonna pause there I, I think it's a really interesting discussion um, and again I don't necessarily disagree with some of the premise of it but i feel like you very quickly get onto a slippery slope that is easy to tumble down very quickly just don't write the article <laughs> i mean it, it's really that simple yeah. like you you really didn't need to write that like you got through the first four paragraphs or so and you laid out some of the reasons why you would not hire her and that was enough that was it it wasn't a full article idea that is uh a final half of an article that is hypotheticals. I mean, that's just as, as someone who writes professionally, that just to me would not pass my smell test, no matter what you were talking about, whether that is what if the bucks won game seven against the Celtics, or what if the bucks didn't draft Giannis Adetokounmpo? Like I don't need that article. That's not what happened. So why are we spending time on that? And it, to me, that as soon as the what ifs started to pile in, it, it was just to me something that didn't need to be written or something that, okay, well, you mentioned why she shouldn't be hired here at the top. Well, let's go through some of the other candidates and talk about that as well. And let's make the article time isn't right for assistant or assistance in general um, for this Bucks job because they don't have enough experience. Like that would have been a fine article. Like if you, if you believe that only a proven head coach is the way to go, which I think is mentioned kind of throughout the article, like you need to have some sort of some level of safety and some proven ability. Okay. Write that article. 
that to me is a legitimate article because yeah. uh, those are the questions that we're having about Becky Hammond. It, they're the same questions I have about Tori Messina. The same questions I would have had about Nick Nurse or Chris Finch. All of those questions would be the same. It would all be about experience, what they've done to prove that they could be a head coach, and maybe not feeling totally safe in that hire because they're just not ready for it. And I just thought that was where it kind of started to lose me when it started to get uh, to that spot. But this hits on and highlights really exactly what we were talking about last week. Like we talked about how the the idea that an organization would do this for the PR or Becky Hammond will, would want to be a part of this uh, to you know maybe get lucky and have this team hire her when she's not totally ready to make a splash. Like the exact opposite happens. This happens. This article happens because we we both know like she's not probably at the top of the list for the Bucks. She's in her first head coaching interview for an NBA job. It is rare that on your first interview you will get the position. And she's the trailblazer. So she has to go through, as you so eloquently put, all of this bullshit. Like, she is the one that has to go through that. And that's the same of, like you said, any any minority in the history of employment that has had to go through those same things as being the first one of that type. So at, I, I just think the, the idea of this being a PR stun or whatever it may be, like, I just I, I can't follow it because... I don't think you actively would choose to sign up for this level of persecution's probably the wrong word, but this level of criticism and this level of a, of a watchful eye. Like you don't sign up for that unless you truly believe in yourself and you truly want to do that. And like it, again, like I said, don't write this article, don't publish this article. Like that's that's not. I, I just don't think there was enough. There was not enough fact-based writing in that article for it to be published. Like the 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 second half of the article is what ifs, and all of those same things would be true because what if they hire Tori Messina, and he doesn't get along with players, and two months in, Malcolm Brogdon or uh, Jabari Parker or Giannis Antetokounmpo speaks out and says he's not reaching players, or I'm not getting enough playing time, or whatever it may be. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> that, 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 that's how all of this works. Like Every coach in the history of coaches has had a player speak out at some point about something that they're doing. That isn't something that's unique to Becky Hammond. That's, that's the coaching experience in the NBA. And I don't, I don't know. Like, like I said, that's where it lost me. All the what ifs. Like, yeah, you can say that for literally every coaching candidate. Yeah, and, and again, I think if, we're, if I was the editor seeing the story – I mean, I, there, there's some very easy ways. Like, if your whole thing is that you don't think Becky Hammond should be a head coach, first off, I mean, like, all right, anybody else that, you know, is she the only one who's not qualified, even though in the story they go out of their way to say she is qualified? Um, I, again, I think you could have very easily, as you said, pivoted this to a story that was about, you know, a column that was about the need for an experienced head coach, and you can actually name maybe some of those head coaches that you would say would be good options and why they're good options. And then you can talk about why Becky Hammond would be, you know, potentially a bigger risk because she has less experience. And and look, I, and again, I'm not going to act like her being the first woman doesn't 
make things different, right? Um, but I think the interesting thing, I mean, it's even alluded to here, it, it is interesting. I, I think I think we're at a point now where I think players, I think players, first for one, I think NBA players respect female basketball players far more than I think certainly NBA fans respect female basketball players. Yep. And you, you see this in you, you see this in interviews, discussions. You see this, you know, with you know KG on Area Twenty One as Candace Parker and different players. There, there is a level of rapport between professional basketball players across the gender lines that I think a lot of maybe fans don't appreciate. Um, and so I, I think, and especially discussions out of San Antonio, I mean, Pau Gasol writing the story in the Players Tribune, I thought was interesting because, I mean, he didn't have to write it. I mean, yep. there's no there's no need to write that unless he actually believed in it. Um, I think there there is a lot more to that, um, to, to base, or, or let me, well, I should say, well, I should say the opposite. There's, there's a lot less to sort of, you know, Becky Hammond would be, you know, the whole Becky Hammond being difficult to uh, accept by the locker room or something like that. I, I've been pleasantly surprised at how little I think I've heard that. And I think that is because the NBA as a league, um, as players, I really do think that has really receded. And uh, again, I don't know exactly what type of coach Becky Hammond would be. And that's largely why I don't really know what to make of her as a candidate. Right. Um, But um, but again, I, I don't think that her gender really affects things as much as maybe skeptics want to admit. And, and I, I am happy that there wasn't really a lot of focus on sort of that part of it in this story. But to me, one of the kind of structural things I didn't like was it was like, it was saying, well, you know, uh, players, players, you know, there, there'll be all this pressure on players to accept her. And like all these great players have said that like they're, they're ready for a woman in the locker room. But what if, but what if it doesn't happen? You know? And it's sort of like, admitting it but then calling it into a question in the very next paragraph or next sentence and to me that's sort of the kind of really subversive sort of subtle thing that i just i don't know to me it's just yeah i don't even know if if, they, if the the art the author and, and edit, editor even realized so much what was happening but to me um again this is this is just sort of an endemic thing in society in the way we talk about again new types of candidates and it can be you know a woman it can be a minority obviously in the nba we have you know we've had black coaches for a very long time but um but i think there also has been i think some interesting discussions of late about black black coaches who are not former nba players and why we don't really see many of them um i think that's also an interesting discussion right like the, yep. like is that what, what what what's going on with that i mean like david fisdale didn't play in the nba um, mike brown didn't play in the nba but for the most part if you're a black head coach you know, it's because you played in the NBA. And, and so I think that's an interesting conversation as well. But um, but anyway, I, again, I, I, I in a lot of ways, I feel like just even talking about this stuff, like focusing on Becky Hammond, I kind of struggle with a little bit because, again, it's like, you know, she's one of many candidates and she's one a candidate who is unlikely to get the job, I would say. But obviously there is a historic aspect to what she's doing. And I don't want to, like, dismiss that. But I also it, it's kind of hard because, again, it's like sort of like putting out like a heat seeking missile uh, column like this that's focused on her and doesn't, you know, raise questions about other candidates to which similar things would apply. Like if the Bucks hired David Blatt and, you know, things don't go well, players don't like him and Giannis leaves in a couple of years. Oh, you don't think that's going to be like this huge hindsight <laughs> thing, given everything that happened with him in Cleveland? I mean, the, you can come up with with sort of these what ifs for a lot of these 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 people are her candidates. And uh, again, it's just it's just something I think we I think it's it, it's I think it's good to kind of talk about because I think the more we kind of talk about it, we can kind of uncover like, well, is that really 
a fair lens through which to judge somebody, right? And I think the fundamental thing that it comes down to for me is that when I read this article, to me, the takeaway is Becky Hammond is really qualified and it doesn't matter. That, to me, that's the takeaway, right? And isn't that the worst possible kind of like idea? And again, if it's if it was purely an experience, an experience based thing, then that would be one thing. Um, but to me, that's that's not what I take away from this. And and again, I, I would hope that if Becky Hammond absolutely destroyed the interviews and was by far the most impressive candidate and all her references check out and on paper she made the most sense, then I would hope that she would have a chance to get this job. Again, a lot of those are those are my own set of what ifs, obviously. But, you know, again, those are the things we can't necessarily see. Um, but again, to me, when I read this article, the idea is like, well, this person from the outside has, has never talked to Becky Hammond, has no idea what she's would be like as a coach, doesn't know what the other coaches are saying in their interviews. But guess what? Becky Hammond can't be the coach. And basically it's because she's a woman. <laughs> that's really that's really what the, what it kind of came down to. And and again, I I, I just think we got to we have to be at least open and not if we're, if we're going to say that stuff, like, let's be honest about why we're saying it. And and maybe then we can be a little bit. I don't know. Hopefully then we, we kind of if we do if we do kind of continue to, you know, see people who look like everybody else getting these jobs, then we at least know why. Like, let's at least be honest about it. So anyway, I'd say we've probably covered that more than we ever needed to. Um, I but, can uh, confirm that we just did. Yes. Yes. OK. All right. Do we have anything else we need to talk about today? No, are we not good today. For the day? We are we are great for the day. We will be back again tomorrow. We will hopefully have some sort of update on the on the coaching search, and maybe we won't. Who knows? Um, but maybe we will, and we can talk about a, a second batch of interviews, or maybe uh, a surprise couple of uh, of first interviews. But we'll see uh, what hits us today. So. Thank you for joining us. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.